0: There is an impression among Christians that right before Jesus went back to glory, He gathered His disciples around Him and said, Oh, by the way, one more thing. Make sure you tell everybody what you just saw. It's not the case at all. Beginning this week and for the next few weeks through the arrival of some of our missionaries, because you need to know something about missionaries. When missionaries are in this church, they're either old friends or they have just become new friends of the church and we intend to support every one of them financially. We never invite a missionary to come. In view of giving him support, we've already decided that unless he denies Jesus from our pulpit, we're with him. Okay? Because this, this church cares about missions. The heartbeat of this church is missions. Missions. We began in 1964 as a mission. A church called Victory Baptist in Anaheim, California started us, let go of people and money, sent people and gathered people up to organize a church on this corner in Huntington Beach, way back in the ancient days of 1964. If you're new to our church, if you look across the parking lot, the single-story building that is nearest to Warner Avenue, that's the old auditorium. We've done as much as we can to make it not look like a little old church building, but that's what it is. That's where it started. And you just saw that this church did something historic. It, It really blew me away, even though I prayed about it and tried to do what I could to get you involved and invested in it to know that This congregation, a congregation of this size, gave over half a million dollars to missionaries last year. We've sent some of our best away to the mission field. The Wilson family has served the Lord in Rwanda. Now they're learning French in Paris. Pastor Rob comes from a missionary family. I grew up on the mission field myself. You don't have to be around Crosspoint for long to realize that missions is in our blood. And I'd just like to tell you why. Before the missionaries arrive, I'd like to tell you specifically why we care so much about missions. Because the truth is, to help me explain this to you, I'm going to do something different from what I normally do. What we normally do at this church is we pick a book of the Bible and we move straight through it. This is going to be a little bit different because... It's impossible for anybody to show you from a single text in the Bible why God cares about missions, why the Bible is a missions book without moving across the Bible because the whole story, the entire arc of the Bible is missionary. In Genesis chapter 12... God reached down to a man whose ancestors grew up worshiping the moon, and he said to him, Abram, from you I'm going to bless every tribe and clan and nation on earth. I'm going to make you a big family. You don't have any kids, but you're going to have a lot of kids, and one of your children is going to bless the whole world. That's Genesis chapter 12. There's 1189 chapters in the Bible, and from Genesis 12 The entire Bible is the story of God fulfilling that promise. Of setting Israel aside purely by His grace and intending that they be a witness to the world, a bright shining light that would draw people in. God did not fail, but Israel did. They did not often keep their commission. Rather than witnessing to the pagan nations around them and drawing them in, they usually went after their gods. But the true God of the universe was undeterred and he kept working and eventually made the ultimate sacrifice to fulfill his promise and sent his son in obedience and in fulfillment of prophecies you can read in your Bible that were written up to a thousand years before the birth of Jesus and then Jesus came and as promised died for the sins of the world. With all the nations that God had promised Abram would bless, Jesus died for the nations. He died for people of every race and every creed, far from God in a thousand different ways. Each person broken and ruined by sin in their own specific way. That's how the prophet explained it. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all gone our own way. In other words, there's as many ways to be lost as there are people on earth. But the death of the Son of God, Jesus, is an offering to cover, the sac- to cover the sins of anyone who will trust Him. At the end of the book, you get to see the nations gathered around the throne of God. And you get to see in the last chapters of the final book of Revelation, all the nations as God promised, worshiping Him and thanking Him and praising the Lamb that was sacrificed for their sins. In other words, it's the whole Bible. But you probably don't want to hear and probably couldn't endure a sermon that covered the entire Bible. True? Probably a bit much on a Sunday morning. So, from that great narrative arc, from all of those fulfilled prophecies, from all of those promises kept, let me just tell you three reasons we, this church, And why I think you individually and you and your family should care about missions. The first reason is found in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus is speaking to his apostles after his resurrection. And if you can read it off the screen or read it off your bulletin insert, I'd love for us to read the Bible together. Will you read the words of Jesus with me please? Here's what Jesus said. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Let's go phrase by phrase. Jesus is returning to the Father right in front of his awestruck disciples. That's about to happen. It was so unexpected and so shocking that they stood looking up into heaven, and an angel had to come down to get them moving into obedience to what Jesus just said. Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, but the Holy Spirit is going to come. The Father and the Son will send the Spirit. Jesus said, I will not leave you alone. You will not be orphans. I will send the Spirit to you. And when the Spirit comes, the disciples then and disciples now receive power, and that power is used. To be a witness to Jesus. And notice the geographical extension. If you're not familiar with the geography of the Bible, let me explain it to you. This is really simple. Jerusalem is the capital city of their nation. Judea is the most important province in that nation. Samaria is another region and another religion filled with people who were half Jewish, who the Jews have been taught to hate. And the end of the earth is where no self-respecting Orthodox Jew ever wanted to go. Jesus is saying, you're going to be witnesses to me, bear witness about me everywhere. You're going to start in the center of power of your own nation. You're going to fill up the entire province. You're actually going to bear witness to people who have been taught to hate you and you've been taught to hate them in return. And before this is over, you're going to be my witnesses all the way to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit is the person in the Trinity that is sent by God to give new life. He fills, He seals, He empowers, He guides, He teaches. But all of that life-giving, all of that teaching, all of that empowering has this at the center. What Jesus wants His empowered disciples to do is to bear witness to Him. So the first reason we care about missions is really simple. It's what Jesus told us to do. Simple as that. Maybe your parents were like my parents. Did you ever get this rhetorical question from your mom or dad? How many times do I have to tell you? (laughs) Anybody ever get that one? It's rhetorical, which means an answer is not expected or necessary. You're supposed to understand that the question is actually a little tiny sermon. And it would be enough if Jesus, who died for sinners and rose from the grave, to prove that he could give them the eternal life he promised them, If he said it once, how many more times would it take? But he didn't say it once. The Great Commission, which is what Bible students call these marching orders, these final instructions from Jesus, are actually found at the end of every gospel and right here in the book of Acts. In other words, five times to different gatherings, sometimes repeat listenings from the people in front of Jesus, giving different dimensions of it, explaining in a different way. But five different times He said to them, you are going to make disciples. You will be My witnesses. You will preach the Gospel. In John, as the Father sent Me, so I send you. It's simply what Jesus told us to do. It's simple obedience to Jesus to have a missionary mindset. And you're going to meet some great missionaries, I hope and trust. Two of them will be new to our church family, but I I know the first couple that's going to be here next week. I hope they capture your imagination. I hope they warm your heart. And I hope that young couple that's just about to have their first baby before they go overseas, I hope they give you a picture of what is possible in simple obedience to Jesus. This missionary, this church has always featured some of the most wonderful disciples Jesus ever had. He's in glory now. He made it to nearly 100 years old But missionary Laverne Rogers once stood here and took his shoes off and said in his old age he needed someone to come literally fill his shoes and carry on the work in Japan. How did a man named Laverne Rogers with that old-fashioned name end up spending more than 60 years in Japan? Easy. The world went to war and Laverne was taught to hate the Japanese. When the war was over, Jesus touched his heart like he did to so many of our service members in China, Korea, Japan, everywhere across Asia. Some GIs, once the fighting was over, regained their spiritual sight and said, there's no one here who knows Jesus, I need to come back. And that's what Laverne did. And I wasn't on the mission trip but I've heard it from him and I've heard it from many Laverne even in his very old age would ascend in a skyscraper over the mega cities of Japan and cry over people that were now closer to him than his blood family Laverne was so devoted and so loved the Japanese people that he tried to recruit me to be a missionary in Japan right there in the center aisle of our church the last time he was here he said pastor we need you in Japan I said brother Rogers I'm pastoring here he said I know but Japan needs you i fought off the call from Laverne (laughs) but I hope that not everybody does it may not be your specific calling to go overseas but helping the gospel be extended from your corner from this church from your neighborhood all the way around the world that's what Jesus told us to do that's what the Holy Spirit is empowering us to do David Livingston Physician and pioneering missionary in Africa explained it like this, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? That's right. Our missions offerings, our missions prayers, our missions trips, our missionary careers, they're not sacrifices, they're just simple obedience He won't call all of us to do every part of the Great Commission, but He has called all of us to have at least a small part in it. A second reason we care so much about missions is this. Jesus is the only one who saves people. There's nothing more Christian than that statement. And listen, in 2023 in the United States, I understand that that immediately sounds to some divisive, dogmatic, maybe even hateful and manipulative and oppressive. I understand that, but it's what Jesus himself said. The burning heart of the conviction of, conviction of the apostles was that if they didn't take the gospel to other nations, if they could not persuade their neighbors and their countrymen to trust Jesus... Not to be converts to their own way of thinking, not to create a man made movement, not to invent a new religion. No, if they didn't put their personal trust in the one who died for sins and rose from the grave, they would not be saved. That's what turned cowards into martyrs in the ancient church. When Jesus was arrested, they ran for their lives, but once they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, Almost without exception, almost without wavering, all of the apostles moved forward with courage that would eventually get them killed. Here's Peter, who denied Christ, preaching several weeks after his crucifixion, Acts chapter 4. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. That's a heavy accusation. He's preaching in front of the religious architects of his nation's faith and he says, "You were in charge of building something for God, building our faith in God, and a stone was found and you thought it was useless. You threw it away." This is Jesus. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you the builders which has become the cornerstone. In other words, men, you were way off. You thought Jesus was useless. He's actually the foundation. Our entire faith, the real faith, the real truth of God can't stand apart from Him. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Read verse 12 to me. This is the heart of Christian witness. Peter preached, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's only one name. Only one person who can save. That's our witness. A witness is not a salesman. A witness is not even necessarily a persuader. A witness is simply someone who can tell others what he has seen and heard. You've come to a church building on a Sunday morning when you could be doing a thousand other things. So one of two things is happening. Jesus has already saved you. And you have a story to tell Or Jesus has been pursuing you and bringing you to himself, and Jesus wants to save you and is about to do it. Those of us who have been saved by Jesus, we didn't save ourselves, we didn't make it up, we didn't get better, we didn't climb up the ladder of moral superiority. Those of us who have been rescued, saved, forgiven by Jesus, our witness is he saved us, and he's the only one who could, and the only one who can save anyone. It's what Jesus himself said. John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The theologian Carl F.H. Henry warns us of this. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. That's why we care about missions. We care about missions because missions is what Jesus told us to do. We care about missions because taking that witness to the world is the only way that ordinary sinful people like us, and that's the only kind of people there are in the world, can be saved in the first place. And this call, this commission has gone out from the year roughly 33 or 34 A.D. to the present day. And sometimes people have been willing to listen, even in very ordinary circumstances. One of my heroes is a lady most of you have never heard of. Her story deserves to be told again and again. Her story was so well known that a famous actress named Ingrid Bergman actually made a movie about her life. The woman's name was Gladys Aylward. Gladys was born, not entirely sure, but sometime between 1903 and 1904. She was British. Born among ordinary means, family of no particular importance, and as a young teenager she took a job as a maid. She went to work for a very wealthy family and in that wealthy, in that wealthy family's home there was a vast library which she was given use of. So the housemaid began to read and read a lot of books about China. And Jesus used those books, Gladys already being a Christian, to put a burning heart in her desire for herself, a simple housemaid, to somehow get to China and tell the Chinese about Jesus. She was accepted as a missionary apprentice by the China Inland Mission, but after a few months of trying to train her, they politely told her, you're too old and not nearly intelligent enough to learn Chinese. It's a very difficult language. God must have something else for you to do. China Inland Mission, if you know your mission's history, important. These are the people who know. But Gladys had the audacity to think that Jesus was telling her something different. So she went back to work as a maid, worked hard, saved all the money that she could, and if you can fathom this, and it's fun to trace that on the map on the Trans-Siberian Railroad, the maid bought a train ticket to China the Trans-Siberian Railway. Along the way, there was an unannounced war. She was nearly put to work in the Soviet military machine, but she escaped and walked back in freezing cold for 30 miles to re-embark. She was determined to get to China. When she finally arrived there, she partnered for a brief time with another missionary woman and started welcoming travelers and eventually adopting orphans. She became so proficient in Chinese that she ended up working up for the she ended up working for the Chinese government. They made her a foot inspector because China had only recently outlawed the cruel practice of foot binding. And Gladys went from home to home to make sure that families were no longer destroying the lives of their little the feet of their little daughters by binding them. She adopted many children of her own. She welcomed more than a hundred. Children who had been orphaned in China and in the midst of a war with Japan, she led over a hundred of those children through a raging war zone to safety. Before it was over, Gladys Hilward had worked for the Chinese government, rescued orphans, led them through a war zone, and on another occasion taken a dare from the warden of a local prison where men were murdering each other in a riot. He said to her, you're always talking about the power of your God, let's see it. If he's real, go in this prison and get these men to lay their weapons down. And she did. She talked to the warden about not being harsh with them and not torturing them or killing them, if she was able to persuade them to be peaceful. And with literal blood on the floor, Gladys Elward, who was told she would never learn Chinese, got Chinese murderous prisoners to lay their weapons down. Quieted a prison riot, essentially by herself. She died in 1970, but before dying, she said this to a friend. I wasn't God's first choice for what I've done in China. There was somebody else. I don't know who it was, God's first choice. It must have been a man. A wonderful man. A well-educated man. I don't know what happened. Perhaps he died. Perhaps he wasn't willing. And God looked down and saw Gladys Elbert. You think he could look down and see you? Because it's what Jesus told us to do. He's the only one who can save. And here's a third and final reason. According to Jesus, missions, spreading the gospel everywhere, is all that remains to be done before Jesus himself comes back. I wonder if you've seen that verse in your Bible. And the reason I'm asking is, I didn't see it in mine. I had read through the New Testament quite a few times, including reading this very verse, because it's in the New Testament. If I read through the Gospel of Matthew more than once, I must have seen it, but it didn't capture me. It didn't hit me. I didn't see the implications. I didn't see the call to action, probably until I was late in Bible college or early in seminary. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 14. Read this with me. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus said this And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Did you catch that? What remains to be done on God's prophetic timetable? Just the preaching of the gospel to all nations. God is still fulfilling His promise to Abraham to bless all the nations, tribes, clans, kindreds, and tongues of the world. All the different ethnic groups, some of which have hated each other and murdered each other for generations. The gospel will be preached among people who have come to hate God and even hated each other, just as the Jews and the Samaritans did. The only thing that remains to be done, according to Jesus, for the good news of His kingdom to be done is that that good news will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony. There's that word again. Witness will be given to all nations and then the end will come. It's amazing how often Christians dive deep into Bible prophecy and read their Bibles with one hand and their newspaper read with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other are continually looking for signs, pointing to things in contemporary news as the sure and certain sign that Jesus will probably come next week. And don't listen to this simple instruction. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. God is not delaying. He's not holding back. He's not slow to fulfill His promise where it's explained to us in 2 Peter God is not slow to fulfill His promise. Here's what's happening. God is not willing that any should perish, but instead, you know the rest of this? That all should come to repentance. He's waiting, if you want to look at it that way, He's waiting for us to do what Jesus told us. Preach the gospel everywhere. Announce the only name that can save people. And when that final sermon is preached and that final soul is saved, if I take Jesus very practically, then, he says, then the end will come. Oswald J. Smith was a great missionary statesman and pastor. He says this, we talk of the second coming. Half the world has not heard of the first. That's what we're about. We want the whole world to hear about the first coming. We don't want to waste any time on side missions and side quests. The Great Commission will be work enough. It will consume enough of our time. It will take all of our talent. It will take every dollar we can spare. It will take every bit of prayer we can muster to do simply what Jesus told us. What should we do then? Let me make three suggestions. Here's what we should do. We should pray for the gospel to spread all the time. Paul was the greatest and the most Christian courageous Christian missionary in history, and you can read in his letters with him pleading with ordinary Christians to pray for him. Pray for me that I'll open my mouth and give witness the way I should. Paul seems concerned because of his own suffering, because the own pressures against him, pray for me that I never back down, that I'm always clear, that I'm always bold, that I always tell people about Jesus, that imprisonments and beatings and starvations and betrayals from everyone I've ever known and ever trusted don't wear me down so that I stop talking about Jesus. Very practically, that means I should be praying for my neighbors. Most of my neighbors are Christians. A good number of them are part of this church, thank God, but not all of them. And Some of them are so reluctant, so resistant, so little willing to hear it that it's hard for me to imagine what it will take and how Jesus could ever turn them around, but that's what he does. My job is to witness. So we need to pray for the gospel to spread all the time from the corners of our homes and from the corner where our church is built all the way across the world. A second thing we can do is invite and witness wherever we are. Invite people to church. Ask God to give you the simple courage to drop the name of His Son into a conversation. You may hear, as I sometimes do, I don't want to hear another word. Okay. I'm just a witness, I'm not a salesman, I'm not on commission. He saved me. The whole Bible tells me so. I thought you might want to hear it. Here's a little witness about him. I don't care. I don't want to hear it. Fine. You invite them to church. You witness where you are. And finally, we send other people where we cannot go. Simple. Many years ago, we had some, when I was a missionary in Mexico, we had some national missionaries from the Huichol tribe in central Mexico. Men whose first language is their own indigenous language, Huichol, who spoke Spanish only brokenly. And the pastor said, after marveling at how rich everyone was in the city, because he lived in a simple home with no electricity and no running water, the tribe lived primarily as they did 500 and 1,000 years earlier. He said, we've come to thank you because... A few years ago, we worshiped the rivers and the rocks and the trees. We thought the spirits lived there and we had to please them. Now we know the one who made the rivers and the rocks and the trees. And we're Christians. And we came to thank you for introducing us to Jesus and for supporting us financially so that we can tell our own people all about him. So my dad stood up and made the simple appeal to this middle, upper, middle class congregation in Chihuahua, Mexico, hundreds of miles from Nayarit, Huichol country in central Mexico. He said, how many of you are willing tonight to drop everything here and go to the Huichol? No takers. He said, in that case, how about we send them? Lots of takers. My dad was just joking. Because God did eventually call missionaries to the tribes from our own congregation. But here's how it works out. Here's how simple it is. In the words of John Piper, a pastor in Minneapolis, there's three options. You can go, you can send, or you can disobey. Simple as that. We don't want to be disobedient Christians. We don't want to be disciples who tell Jesus that we will not give first priority to his last commandment. We want to say that beginning in our corner, beginning with our family, and as best we can through prayer and financial support, if not our own going, we will make disciples everywhere. We will try to be a blessing to all nations. Will you pray with me about that? If you're a Christian, could I just invite you to tell Jesus you're going to obey him? Tell him how. You'll pray. You'll witness. It may be that he's going to talk to you about actually you actually going, whether that's a short term trip or maybe even career service. Just talk to him about it. Ask him. I'm convinced. So many people are saying that they're willing to go but they're actually making every preparation to stay. What if you check with him first? If you're not a Christian welcome to church. Delighted you're here. I told you in the beginning if you're not sure that Jesus is your Savior if you're here that must surely tell me that he's pursuing you. He wants to convince you of your sins and explain to you that he died for them, persuade you that you can't possibly save yourself. You'll never be good enough for God. You could live perfectly from this day forward, which you won't. But if you could, what do you do about the past? You need the forgiveness of Jesus to be saved. Only he can forgive you because only he died for your sins and rose from the grave to give you eternal life. So if you don't know him, could I invite you from one Christian to a future Christian to a nearly about to be a Christian to ask him forgiveness for your sins and tell him that you'll trust him, you'll put him in charge of you? You don't have to understand the whole Bible. Nobody does perfectly. What you do need to understand is your deep need and how abundantly he can and will save and forgive you and give you new life if only you will humbly turn away from yourself and whatever you've been doing and turn to him and ask him to save you he's the only one who can i pray that you'll put him in charge this morning